It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, it really is good to see you. It's, uh, I said last night, um, this is our first time out to minister in two years. And uh, we couldn't have thought of a better place to come than to Southport. That's not to flannel you, but it's true. And uh, we love you very much. And I want to bring you greetings from the church uh, in Cardiff, from the brothers and sisters you have there. And uh, they're praying for you. And uh, with all that some of us are facing in the body here. Uh, but it's just great news to hear good news this morning. There's nothing like good news, is there? Yes, yeah, so I'm Roger. This is Diane. You will see the difference. <laughs> um, last night, uh, we came really uh, in response to an invitation from you uh, to share with you on faith. Now, the moment we say that, you think, oh, faith. We know all there is to know about faith, but there's a lot to learn, isn't there? And uh, last night, we had a great time in the presence of God. Uh, because we talked about the undergirding factor that holds our faith together, and that is hope. Remember that if you were here? We talked about the God of hope. That, yes, it was good, wasn't it? The, it's all about the fact that we have a future, and our future is good. And Hebrews tells us that faith is the reality of what we're hoping for. Hope is not fingers crossed, maybe. Hope is a certain confident expectation of good, that our future will be better than our present and our past, because we have a God of hope. I mustn't repeat everything I said last night. But Jeremiah says, God says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for Ethan. I know the plans and plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to do you good, give you hope and a future. Isn't that amazing to have a God like that here, Ethan? Fantastic. And he has his plans for us. And we, we were in the presence of a God of hope last night. Well, this morning we're going to continue and we're going to look at uh, faith. And uh, I'm going to share for a while just on what faith is. And then Diane is going to come and apply that to us in practical ways. Is that okay? By the way, it's great to hear... Don't you find there are certain sounds that just cause you great joy? I love the sound of bird song. I love the sound of my grandchildren. I love to hear the Welsh national anthem. Uh, <laughs> I love to hear Diane's voice. But there's something when you hear the splash when someone gets baptized. Don't you love that splash? You know, you may not be able to see it, but you're just saying, Psh! you think, another one. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's just... I just enjoy those sounds. It just, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I love it. Anyway, right, faith. So, um, let's read some scriptures, please. We're going to read Romans chapter 10. In, in the weeks leading up to coming to you, I think, what do we say to a people of faith? Because that's who you are about faith. But uh, I know for me, and excuse me for being personal, but over the last couple of years during what we've been through, I have found that uh, I've been able to strip away a lot of the things that we layer on things that are good, but I want to get back to the basics of what it means for me to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I, that's just what I've found. 
And, um, and faith is one of those things. So I'm simply going to tell you what faith is. Because it's a word we use a lot. You know, you've got to get faith. You've got to be in faith. Have faith. And we say, yes. But what is it? And so we're just going to take some moments to explain what it is. Let's read some scriptures. Romans chapter 10, verse, and verse uh, 6, following. You'll say this. Now, the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Don't say in your heart who will go to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And this is the word of faith that we proclaim. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe or have faith in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart, one believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, one confesses, resulting in Salvation. See the link there between believing and speaking? By the way, the word belief, trust, faith in the New Testament almost are often the very same word. To believe is to trust. To trust is to have faith. Let's in the same chapter just go over to verse 17. We'll talk about this. It says, so faith comes interesting. Faith comes, but it comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the Word about Christ. That's really important. Faith comes to you, okay? And it comes from what you hear, and what is heard comes through the Word about Christ. That's a really powerful little verse, isn't it? It is, trust me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. These are just a few verses that we're going to use. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, I know I'm diving into a, a context here, but the truth of the Scripture is still relevant. And verse 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. And it says... Now, since we have the same spirit of faith in accordance with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. He's quoting the scripture. Notice it. This is what it's written. I believed, therefore I spoke. I had faith, so I spoke. He says, we also believe, and therefore we speak. So, what is Faith. When the New Testament uses the word faith or trust or believe, this is what that word means. It means that you are 100% convinced of something with, oh, with no doubt at all. You really believe what you heard. It means simply that somebody told you something. And you believe completely, you have faith in what that person said. 
Very simple, isn't it? When you strip it all away, that's really simple. I can go home now, I've done my job. So faith is simply this. Hearing somebody say something to you and believing completely, without any doubt, what that person said. So very simply, friends, faith is all to do with words. Could you say words? Say words again. Say words. Faith is all to do with words. That's the issue. And Diane will share that with you in, in a moment. But it also tells us faith is not something that we have to go and get. It's not hard work. Okay? Because it says faith comes to you. That's amazing. Faith comes to you. It's not thinking, I've got to go and get faith. Faith comes to you. Isn't that wonderful? Suddenly takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? That, now that's going to do some of you good because you think, man, I've got to get faith. 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 They say, relax. Faith is on the way. It's coming. And it's coming all the time. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes in a very specific way. It, faith comes to you through what you're hearing. That's really important. Okay. So words are coming to you. You hear them and you believe them. Now, I'll give you another definition because we said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Now that word, bless you, <laughs> That word hearing is also important because um, I, have, I have convenient listening. <laughs> a while ago, I, uh, Diane said to me one Saturday morning, come on, let's go then. And I said, where are we going? And she said, we, we're, going, uh, we're going off to buy a sofa. And I said, why are we going to buy a sofa? She said, because we've been talking about it. And uh, she said, you, you agreed that you'd come with me today and we'd go and buy a sofa. And I said, when did I do that? And she said, Wednesday night. I said, Wednesday night? Did we talk on Wednesday night? She said, yes. I said, what was I doing? She said, you were watching the football. <laughs> All the guys in the room thinking, yeah. Ladies, <laughs> I didn't hear what she said, but I heard words, and I must have grunted in agreement. <laughs> but when you hear in faith, it's quite a different thing. The word means to receive words, not just into your ears, but they get into your heart because your heart is the wellspring of life. And it gets so deep into your heart that those words control you. 
Those words can direct you. You actually become those words. You live by them. You become identified with them. It gets right into you. It's like that, um, you know that song that drives me crazy, you know? I know a song that'll get on your nerves, get on your nerves, get on your nerves. I know a song that'll get on your nerves, get on your nerves, get on your nerves. I know a song. And you think, for goodness sake, but I know 3 o'clock tomorrow morning, some of you are going to wake up and you're going to say, I know a song that'll get on your nerves. Blame me. (laughs) But don't call me at 3 o'clock in the morning. But you see what it is? You know sometimes somebody will say something to you, and it can cut right into you. Power in that word. And you live by something you hear, and you believed it. That is faith. Now, the great thing about God, oh, isn't he wonderful? We have a God who speaks. That's, about, that's what the Bible tells us right at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? God said. He just said, light, be, boom, and there was light. God is a chatterbox. God is speaking all the time. We don't have time to talk about all the ways he speaks to us, but God has spoken to us today. God speaks to us when we read his word, because this is God's spoken word written down. That's what it is. You can't say, God never speaks to me. He speaks every time I read this. He speaks me through creation. He speaks, he speaks, he speaks. And all the time he's speaking, he's speaking, he's speaking, he's speaking. And Jesus said, it's important that you live by every word that God is speaking to you. God is always speaking. God is always speaking. Now, again, let's strip it all down. Strip it all down. When we come down to life, there are two voices that are really speaking to us. Okay, I mean, this is very simple. I'm simplifying it. Not because you're simple, but it, it is simple. <laughs> there are two voices that try to get you to believe them. The one is God, and the one is your enemy. (laughs) They're trying to speak to you, and they will speak to you in different ways. And you know the difference. God will always speak to you truth, life, joy, peace. He'll tell you how things really are. He'll speak faith to you. He'll speak the truth about you. Your enemy won't. Your enemy will cast out. Your enemy will tell you bad things. Your enemy constantly. And it's not just voices. What you see, what you read, what you're open to, God will speak to you. The enemy is trying to get your attention. Believe me, believe me, believe me. That's why if you read Genesis chapter 3, let's just turn to that a moment, please. Genesis chapter 3. And now you're geared. The great thing is you're geared as a Christian to listen to and recognize and believe the voice of God. That's your default position. Isn't it wonderful? But Genesis chapter 3, then this is unmasking an enemy. We'll unmask him. Notice this, 
very first thing we find out about the serpent, the devil, says the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, look, notice what he did. First thing he says, did God really say that? Doubt. Did God, did God really tell you to do that? How can you be sure it was God? Was it God? Was it God? Because he wants you not to believe what you're hearing from God. So it's important then for us, not only, and this is the important thing for faith, not only to believe the words I'm hearing, but for me, the more important thing is, who told me that? See, if John tells me something, I believe him. <laughs> because he's a man of faith and integrity. So he's going to tell me good things and only good things. So our question is not just, well, I believe these words. Who told you that? Who told you that? told you that? What did he say? Well, I was told that I will never amount to anything in life. Who told you that? Well, uh, my mother, my father. There was a voice behind that. Who told you there was hope for you? Oh, uh, my school teacher. That was God. Who told you you could have your sins forgiven? That was God. You see, the big thing about faith is I'm not just believing the words. I'm believing in the integrity, the reliability, the faithfulness, the trustworthiness, the unbreakable covenant promise of the God who told me that. And God says this, do you know what? Surely as I live. He puts his own life on the line. <laughs> it's as surely as I live. <laughs> That's a big thing because he backs it up. So when you break it down, God says, I'm speaking to you, Roger. Believe what you hear because I am telling you. You say, well, Lord, when I understand it, then I'll believe you. Do you know what? I've been a Christian 56 years almost. I finally learned something. <laughs> understanding doesn't give me faith. <laughs> faith gives me understanding. I believe him. By faith I understand. Now therefore, and I am becoming soon now, every word I choose to believe makes its home in my heart. Now there's another dynamic that Diane's going to bring out. Just go back to Romans chapter 10, please. Because there's another link to words. It's not only the words that I'm hearing, it's the words that I'm speaking. Because the words that I speak are words that I've heard first. Let me explain that to you. Romans 10 says in verses 9 and 10, 
If you confess with your mouth, if you say something, Roger, if you say something, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you're going to be saved. That's incredible. Do you know something? Believing alone doesn't save you. You just told us it's faith. Yes, it is. But the Bible says in order to operate it and release it, you've got to do something. You've got to speak. You've got to, you've got to, got to speak. Now, that word confess is important. Because when we say you have to confess, it doesn't mean to own up to something. And I did a lot of that when I was young. I had to own up to a lot of stuff. I was always, I was always framed. I was innocent. <laughs> the word confession here means this. It means to speak the same words as somebody. It means to speak agreement with what somebody else said. It means to speak with the same voice. So what it means is this. I hear something. I hear it. I believe it. But in order for it to be actuated in my life, for me, I have to speak it. Boom. Sorry, I'm picking on you this morning. <laughs> That's what happened when you got saved. Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, whoever confesses me... Before people, I'll confess him before the Father. Do you know what that meant? When you, that moment when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you, you prayed, you said, Lord Jesus, you're my Lord, I receive you. You agreed with something God the Father had already said. He said, Jesus is Lord. You come along and you say, Father, you didn't, you didn't have a clue what you're doing, but this is what's happening. You said Jesus is Lord. Jesus turns to Father and says, Father, Roger agrees with you what you say about me. He believes in me, and he has spoken the creative word, and God said, put his name in the book. <laughs> that was it. Man, because the power that came from these lips, I agreed. That's confession. Now, therefore, whatever we're speaking, whatever we're hearing, whatever we're hearing, whatever we're believing is going to come out of us. So I'm learning to be a person who says, I position myself all the time to hear God. Now, it's not like I'm just sitting here. I don't go to, I don't, I don't go to the shop. I don't drive. I just sit. No, I'm living, I'm living, I'm living, I'm living. But all the time, God will speak, God will speak, God will speak, God will speak. Not just in here. And when he speaks, you listen, you hear, and you think, I believe that. I believe that. But it's empowered and actuated in you when you say, Lord, I agree with you. Or when someone says something, I agree with you. There's a power in it. So if nothing else, we're not the strong, silent types anymore. Because if we're strong, we're not silent. And if we're silent, we're not strong. But that's basically what faith is. Now, we want to put some shoe leather on that. So Diane is going to come, and 
share a story. Are you okay to just carry on now? Is, is, is that okay? You happy with that? Thank you for listening. We'll see you later. Diane is going to come, and she's going to she's going to make sense of everything now. Let's welcome Diane. I love the thought that I could make sense of Roger in any shape or form. <laughs> and could I ask you to turn to a scripture with me, please, in Matthew 8. And we're going to read a few verses together. And then I'll explain why this scripture and uh, what I want to share on it. I don't know what it's called in your Bible, but I'm sure it's the same as mine. And it's uh, Matthew 8 and verse 5. And it's the faith of the centurion. And it says, I'm reading from the NIV, by the way, in case there are any different translations. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and is terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Isn't that a wonderful story? Isn't that wonderful scripture? Whenever we knew that we were coming to Southport, um, I was out walking one day and I have been pondering. I do a lot of pondering when I'm walking. That's probably the best description. And I really felt the Holy Spirit press this particular story on me for Southport. I really felt it had a particular significance for Southport in this season. And uh, I hope you don't mind if I take a few moments just to pull a few things out of this story. And then I just want to give you four keys that I think are important for me and for you in this particular season. I think the one thing I felt the Holy Spirit really say above everything is that this is a time of freshness. Um, I know Roger's talked to, uh, mentioned a little bit about, you know, during the pandemic and when we were at home, it did mean we stripped a lot of things back. We, we really took time to say, what are the fundamentals of what we believe? What is the fundamentals of our faith? Um, and we looked at things afresh, and I just feel today's a real opportunity just to look at things afresh. So I've just got a few points that I want to pull out on the centurion 
and then four keys for us. And then I'd really like the Holy Spirit to minister to us after that, if that's okay. All right. Now, I had written my first point down that the very first thing the centurion did was that he asked Jesus for help. But when I was praying this morning, I suddenly realized that wasn't the first thing the centurion did. The first thing the centurion did was he came to find Jesus. And whenever I felt this morning that the centurion came to find Jesus, it made me realize that some of you will have come here today just out of habit. It's Sunday. I'm going to the meeting on Sunday. But I just want to say, no one in this room is here out of habit. No one is in this room is here because they didn't, they aren't meant to be here. You're here for a purpose. You're here for an equipping. You're here to meet God. Um, and that's what the centurion did. He went to meet Jesus. And the very first thing he did was he asked for help. He came looking. And I thought in his asking for help, he must have heard something about Jesus. You don't go and ask somebody for help that you don't know or that somebody that you don't know that can help you. And, you know, we read a bit earlier in Luke that Jesus had been going all around and he'd been healing. People were hearing things. People were doing things. And this centurion must have heard something about Jesus. But he didn't just hear something. He heard something and he decided that it was true. He heard something that he knew could affect the situation that he was in. So he'd heard something and he had taken it into his heart, it taken into his being. He came to Jesus with an expectation that Jesus could do something in that situation because of something that he had heard. Um, the news of Jesus had spread all over. It had spread everywhere. And here was this very important man uh, coming to Jesus just to say, help. That's the very, very first thing then was that he'd come to ask for help. Um, the second thing he did was he asked for help for his servant who was ill. And it made me wonder, was this a very special servant? Was this somebody that he was very special to him? Was it somebody that was very important to him? Uh, was it somebody that was looking after him? And I tried to do all this thinking about, you know, the significance of this servant. And I realized, you know what, after all my thinking, it actually didn't matter. It was just somebody who needed help. But it was somebody that Jesus completely, uh, somebody that the centurion completely believed that Jesus was able to help. Um, the centurion, when he came to Jesus, he called him Lord. And I, I found that quite strange because I thought, here's the centurion coming to Jesus and I was thinking, does he know him? Does he know who he is? Or is he just acknowledging who he is? And I also realized that when the centurion came to Jesus and asked him for help and called him Lord, you know, we read on a little bit later on that, that this was a centurion who commanded people, he told them what to do. Do you know, he could have just come and said to Jesus, I'm commanding you to heal my servant. But he didn't. He came in, he acknowledged who Jesus was, 
He acknowledged who Jesus was because of what he'd heard, and he asked him to help his servant, who was, who was very, very sick. Um, in verse 7, it says, Jesus' response was, I will come and heal him. Now, we don't know how many people were there. We don't know what time of day it was. We don't know what time at night it was. All we know is Jesus was there, there were followers. But yet the minute the centurion said, help, I've got this servant who's sick, Jesus in that moment said, I'll come. I'll come, the servant wasn't there. And I suddenly realized, isn't that the way Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit? You know, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. When we come to him and ask for his help, he doesn't say, you've got to wait till next Sunday when you go down to the church and somebody will pray for you. He says, I will help you in this moment. And Jesus was prepared to walk away from everybody that was there, anybody else that needed him, just to respond to this particular servant. Um, and then you know the story about the centurion saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy to have Jesus in my home. Um, you know, you just say the word and that's enough for me. Now, that centurion understood the power of words. I know Roger's just mentioned about, about confession, but the centurion understood the power of words, the power of saying that Jesus could do something, the power of Jesus' words. So he, you know, he didn't want to trouble Jesus. He said, it's enough for you to say that you will heal my servant. It's enough for you to say that my servant will be healed. You don't need to come to my house. And then for me, this is one of the most astonishing things that I read in the scriptures when it says in verse, and in verse 10, it said, Jesus was astonished at his faith, that he had not seen such faith. And when you think of all the miracles, all the people, everybody that Jesus had seen, and here comes along this centurion, and he only says a couple of things to Jesus. Help, my servant needs to be healed. I believe you can do it. You know, you don't need to come to my house. And yet, Jesus was astonished at the faith of that centurion. And every time I read it, I think, Lord, I want to be like that centurion. You know, I want something to be written over me that says, I astonish Jesus. Um, I want something to be written over me that says, you know, Jesus is absolutely amazed at me. And I suddenly realized, you know, for you and for me, that's exactly what is written over us. Every time we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, do you know what? If he could give a big clap and we could hear it, I'm sure that's exactly what he's doing. I'm sure he's just saying, well done. Well done for believing me. Well done. Um, and I, I love the fact that Jesus turned to this crowd and the crowd might have been expecting all sorts of things from Jesus. But the one thing that Jesus said to him in that moment, I have not seen faith like this. And I think what a testimony that is for that particular centurion. Now, I'm not going to pretend I understand everything that happens. I don't think any of us do. Um, good things happen, bad things happen, mediocre things happen. I, don't, I really don't understand. 
But the one thing I do understand, and Roger referred to it last night in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, that God says he's got a plan for my life, that he's got a plan for your life. And the plan that God has for our lives is for good and not for evil. Um, and when I was reading about the centurion, I, I, I just asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what are the keys for me in this season? What are the keys for Southport in this season? And these are the four keys that uh, the Lord gave me. Now, the one thing I'm going to say is Roger's already repeated every single one of them. So apologies for that in advance. But that's the way it works. But the first thing he said was, keep confessing the good things that God is doing. We, I personally am never tired of hearing about the good things that God is doing. God is never tired of hearing us say, thank you for the good things that God is doing. Um, you know, if God heals you, how fantastic. I would love it on a Sunday morning here that, you know, you can't get to the word or you can't get to worship because people are up saying, do you know what God did this week? God healed me this week. Do you know what God did this week? He provided this for me this week. You know what God did this week? He gave me this this week. And it was just wonderful when Dave started off this morning. I've got to read this testimony of Val. And I thought, you know, that's one testimony. But do you know, that's exactly what we need to keep doing. Keep confessing, keep saying the good things that God is doing. The second thing is keep hearing the good things that God is doing. It's not enough just to confess them, but it's, you have to hear them as well. And I'm always very conscious that, you know, if I, if I give a testimony or if I say about something that God is doing in my life, the very first person that hears that is me. So not only when I confess and say what God is doing, is it hopefully building up somebody else's faith, but it's also building up my own faith. And I'm also conscious that um, it's not just hearing and going in one ear and out the other ear, because it's ever so easy to do that. And I, I, I have a, which is probably not a good testimony, by the way, of me personally, but I, I was in the meeting in, in Cardiff the week before last, and um, a young man brought a prophetic word. And I remember in the moment how amazing that prophetic word was. And I went home. And do you know what? For love nor money, I could not remember a single thing that the prophetic word was. And I had to go and ask somebody, remind me of what that prophetic word was. So I know sometimes, you know, we can hear things. You hear them in the moment, and you don't take it into, into yourself. Um, you can hear a prophetic word, and you think, oh, that's amazing. Or you can hear a, a preached word, and you think, that's amazing. And you walk away, and you have everyday life. But I often think the way God works for me is there'll be a little nugget in every single meeting. And if I can just find that little nugget, I can add that to all the other nuggets that he's given me. And just not to come in and not to be people who hear and don't, and don't let it come inside us. I think the biggest thing for me with the, with the centurion was in his hearing, it created an expectation in his hearing, it created an action within him. So his hearing wasn't passive, 
And I don't think that our hearing should be passive either. Um, the third thing is, and this just seems so incredibly obvious, but you do need to believe what you hear. Um, it's not just um, glibly, that's really nice, isn't that wonderful, how fantastic, that's what God is doing. But it's actually, do you know what? I believe it, I agree it. And sometimes when you hear a testimony, you have to vocally, vocally say, do you know, I agree, it, can't, it might be a little voice, it might be a big voice, it might be a voice inside you, but there is a real power in agreeing when you hear what the word of God is. Um, that it, it, it is just, it builds the faith up in the person that's given the testimony, and I think it does something in us as well. Um, you know, just some very, very simple steps. And the, and the last thing was, and again, something extremely obvious, is keep on asking. Never, you're never in a situation where you don't need to keep on asking. Um, and sometimes you can be in that moment and you're asking of the Lord, or sometimes you can be in that moment and you're asking of one another. And... Um, I hope Amanda doesn't uh, my, uh, mind me mentioning this week, but, uh, you know, Amanda's been emailing, and we've, I know a number of us have had emails in Cardiff about, about Sarah, and just saying, will you join with us in prayer? And um, in a strange way, reading the email encouraged me in my faith, because as I read the email, I knew that Amanda and Sarah had faith, I knew that they had faith and hope in what God was going to do. And it encouraged me. And it was a joy then to be able to stand alongside them with people from one end of the world to the next, um, you know, just praying and praying that God would do something and, and bring that miracle that Sarah needs. So it's important to keep on asking, asking the Lord and asking one another. Um, I think the one thing for me was that the testimony of Val this morning just sort of encapsulated everything that I wanted to say this morning because here was a lady who had asked for prayer, had had a bad diagnosis, had asked for prayer, had come and asked for help. She'd received prayer. She'd gone away, gone to the doctors, and she had received what she had asked God for. Um, and I've, I've just got a couple of little things that I want to share just to finish off in terms of praying. I believe that today and this weekend, for some of you, God will have brought a fresh hope and a fresh faith and a fresh expectation. If that hasn't happened in the meeting today, I guarantee you the very next situation that you go into, that you will find yourself in a fresh place and a fresh hope. But the faith that God has given you isn't just for this meeting today, but it's a faith and a hope to carry you into your life. The one thing I thought about Jesus when he was with the centurion, do you know what? He was just going about his everyday life. You know, he'd gone from one town to the next town. People were following him. He was just doing normal, everyday things. I don't know what your life is like, but I don't spend very much of my time in meetings. I spend a lot of my time working or, work or, or with people. 
And I think, you know, the faith and the hope that God has given us is for outside of us. It is for our families who don't know Jesus. It is for our friends who don't know Jesus. Um, just in, in the, in, you know that Roger and I only came yesterday. Last night was our first meeting. And uh, when I went to bed last night, I was just thinking about the faith that I can see, the hope that I can see in Southport. And last night, there were three different ladies who told me three different things. Um, I spoke to one lady um, who, I'm not going to say the names, I'm just not going to say the names, but I spoke to one lady who had a little baby and was telling me her story where she and her husband had wanted this baby, had wanted a baby, nothing was happening. They'd gone through some, uh, were on the verge of going through some IVF treatment. And God intervened, and here is this miracle baby. I spoke to another lady who'd had a diagnosis of cancer and had come and asked the elders to pray, prayed, gone away, went to see the doctor, came back, and the cancer had gone. I spoke to another lady who um, has had very bad cancer diagnosis. Sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. I thought he was interrupting me there. Um, <laughs> I spoke to another lady who'd had a very, very bad diagnosis, uh, cancer diagnosis. Over the weeks, that diagnosis has reduced. I come into the meeting this morning. I hear the testimony about Val. The one thing I want to say to you, God is at work in this place. There are testimonies in this place of the goodness of God. There are testimonies in this place of the healing of God. There are testimonies in this place of miracles that God is doing. Um, and I know this morning that God wants to move, and he wants to move in healing. He wants to move in encouraging he wants to move in giving faith and hope to people this morning.